Well, good morning and welcome to Generation Church. It's good to be with you. And I want to say hi to everyone at Mesa online, those at our South Mountain campus, and everyone in our chapels. We're glad to be together worshiping God today. Isn't it good to just sing Praise King Jesus like we just did? That's awesome. We are in a series called Bold Men. I want to start out reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, where it says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. This is one of the overarching theme verses of this series, and so I want to kind of look at each aspect of this verse, but let me first start out by focusing in on what it means to act like men, and that's the title of this sermon today. The world gives a lot of mixed messages about how men should act, but God makes it very clear that there is a specific way men should act. And you might hear the phrase, act like men, and some of you could have an initial negative reaction to that. Like maybe you think back to a time when you were just a boy, and you fell, and you skinned your knee, and you ran in the house, and someone scolded you without any compassion and just said, you know, be a man, stop feeling bad for yourself. And you need to know that when you read this verse where it says act like men, it's not putting you down, but rather it's building you up. And an encouragement, it's an encouragement that you are a man and it's good to act like one. Amen? We need that more than ever today, don't we? Well, I think in order to know how a man should act, it's helpful to start out by highlighting how a man should not act, and what a man is not. First, a man is not an animal. Amen? Uh, We got some moms raising some junior high boys, and you're like, I've been waiting for that. Last week we said that God made man in his own image and likeness and set mankind above creation to rule over creation, including the animals, and subdue the earth. Some guys didn't get the memo, though. They listened to Darwin, and they've been trying their hardest to get out that big chimp energy. And every day you you see the destructiveness of what happens when men act like animals. I said last week that, that animals, they go through life pooping, eating, and fornicating wherever they can with whoever they can. And what happens is when men act like animals, they will do the same things animals do. They'll sleep with whoever they can. The way that animals eat their young, men will allow their offspring to be devoured in the womb so they can go on fulfilling their carnal desires. You see how animals will kill each other over territory. Like, you know, I I peed on that tree. You can't come over here. And and today we see the news highlighting men killing each other over hashtags and perceived differences. This is wrong because a man is not an animal. A man is a man. Next, a man is not a boy. Think about how many popular TV shows today portray men as total clowns. Shows like King of Queens and Family Guy and Home Improvement. The dad is always a blumbling fool who just stumbles through life making messes his wife has to clean up. Parents, you need to think twice about letting your kids watch shows where the dad is portrayed as a clown. Think about this, though. The caricature of men that we see in TV stems from a sad reality. Some men do act like immature boys. Boys do what they feel like, what feels good. They do what's easiest. Boys believe in fairy tales. Boys make messes in their pants and expect mom to clean it up. We've got a problem 
when boys refuse to grow up, don't we? Just doing what feels good, swiping right, making messes and voting for socialists to clean them up, right? Quitting when work gets hard, leaving the children they fathered. Little boys are sweet and they're special, but man boys are disappointing and destructive. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But watch this. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Men, it was good that you were once boys, but now God has called you to be men. I remember when I first came to this church uh, to work as a staff pastor, and my first summer, I led some of the boys in the youth group to church camp, and we drove up the mountain in a church van full of boys, and I led this boys' dorm. It was incredible. It was just crazy, right? Uh, the smells. The smells, y'all. You weren't there. It was it was a lot. Like, I had to force them to take showers. I had to force them to change their clothes for church at night. Uh, and the room, <laughs> it was a very interesting smells. Like, I had to force them to put on deodorant and change their underwear. Uh, and, and you expect boys to act like that, but then sometimes you see the same from grown men. Like, I remember when I was a little boy, my mom made me change out of my ninja costume to get ready for church. Like, that makes sense that those kinds of things happen. Uh, the other day, though, I was at a birthday party, and an extended family member, a grown man, almost 30 years up, uh, old, shows up in basketball shorts and a T-shirt and flip-flops. Like, he just rolled out of bed. And, you know, I'm okay with casual Arizona. Like, we're a casual state. I preach in sneakers. It's a casual church, right? But seriously, that's the best you could do. You know, like, like do you want to communicate that you care about yourself and that you're put together, or do you want to look sloppy? You know, and I think the same guy's crying himself to sleep at night. You know, like, why can't I get a date? <laughs> it's because girls don't want to be your mom and marry a boy. There is a difference. It's okay to be casual. It's okay to be casual. But there's a difference between casualness and sloppiness. Men know how to dress for the occasion. Men don't go to weddings and funerals in flip-flops and t-shirts. That's childish. So men, sometimes that means you got to spend a little less money on video games and get you a collared shirt and a pair of dress shoes. A man needs to own a collared shirt and dress shoes. And I know some guys who complain to me, like, man, I wish my wife would have more sex with me as he's sitting there in his basketball shorts and his nacho cheese stained t-shirt. And so I want to be like, bro, here's an idea. Brush your teeth, take a shower, put on some cologne that's not Axe body spray, put on a collared shirt with a button, and take your wife on a date once in a while. How about that? Instead of hoping some politician will come along and clean up your messes and pay off your debt, men save up and pay off their own debts. That's what men do. A man is not a boy. A man is a man. And then here's the third thing. This is actually pretty controversial right now. A man is not a woman. <laughs> you guys... See, gender has become like a choose-your-own-adventure quest. What do you feel like today? Would you like to be a boy or a girl or something in between? Is it going to be Larry or Laura? Do you want to be a terrible swimmer as a guy or an Olympic champion with the ladies? 
And we got public schools teaching boys they can be girls if they feel like. And even today, minors can get their genitalia mutilated in gender-affirming surgery, as they call it. But look at what it says in Genesis 1.27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created him. That's what that says in Genesis 1.27. God made a man, and he made a woman. He didn't make man and or woman on a spectrum or a sliding scale. And so men and women play different roles as a result of that. They literally have different parts that happen to fit together perfectly. No matter how bad secular progressives try, regardless of what the woke politically correct say, two women can't make a baby and two men can't make a baby. You need a man and a woman. You need sperm and eggs the way God designed it in the first place. God says you're either a man with an X and a Y chromosome pair or you're a woman with two X chromosomes. But the world today can't even answer the question, what is a man? What is a woman? It's because they're living in fantasy never-never land where up is down, left is right, and they want the rest of us to play their delusional game and put pronouns in our bio. See, Satan knows that godly men pose a threat. So, of course, the world wants to turn men and our sons into women. They want men to be effeminate and passive and soft-spoken and hairless, but we know God didn't make men that way. God made men and women to share some characteristics, but also they're typically different in many ways. Men tend to have thicker bones and more muscle mass and just tend to be more logical thinkers and adventurous. Women tend to be physically smaller. They tend to have more uh, emotional, in touch with their emotions. They tend to be more nurturing. That's not a bad thing. People get all awkward when you say stuff like that, but it's just the truth. It might not be politically correct, but it's reality. God designed it so that when a husband and wife come together, they would each bring something unique to the table, and as a couple, they would embody all the characteristics of God together. God is strong and nurturing. God is a warrior and he's a comforter. And men and women come together and bring God's nature together in their marriage like that. Gender roles are important, not just for a man and wife, but men also need brotherhood, like we talked about at Men's Night. Uh, Men need brotherhood and women need sisterhood. So listen, married people, you'll get frustrated if you expect your spouse to do what is not biologically natural for them. So I'll hear a wife vent sometimes, you know, her husband uh, doesn't want to spend time with her sitting and gossiping and watching Hallmark movies while they paint their toenails. Like, that doesn't mean he's not open to you. That just means he's a man. You need girls. You need girls' night. You need friends, right? Uh, guys, you need to go to bold men and join a life group so you can find some brothers. Like, I know some guys, they're looking for a wife, and they want a wife who will go skydiving with them and wrestle alligators and shoot guns. That's what your brothers are for. So ladies, you need to be involved with beautiful girls, guys with bold men. You need community. And our world works better when women act like women and men act like men. Boom, just got canceled. Don't care. (laughs) 
So then in 1 Corinthians 16, we see instruction and we see more uh, kind of examples of how men should act. The first thing I want to focus on is this, be watchful. The original language communicates the idea of standing guard on watch, being vigilant, being cautious, staying awake. Listen, we live in a woke world and it needs awake men who are watchful. In the army, we had this, this phrase, we would say, where it was keep your head on a swivel. So as you go through mission, you keep your head on a swivel, constantly observing what's around you. The idea is you don't become complacent. You're constantly scanning for threats that might come your way. And, and that's something that's been hard to shake for me even. I just naturally will go through a crowd and I'm just scanning people, watching for threats. If we go to a, a restaurant, I'll sit with my back against the wall so I can watch the door, so I can scan for threats. Jesus talks about in Matthew 24, If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. And we need to keep watch because we know there is a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the enemy will wreak havoc in your home like a fox in a hen house when men are not being watchful. In order to stand watch, you have to know what you're watching for what the enemy looks like, and what the good guys look like. And here's how you figure that out. You have to actually know what the Bible says, men. In Psalm 119, it says, Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. You know, some people will be like, Pastor Ryan, why are you so intense on social media about all these cultural issues today? It's because the more I understand God's word, the more I hate the devil's lies. Exactly like this verse describes. See, lambs get led to the slaughter because they don't understand what a slaughterhouse looks like. The devil's latest scheme is that through secular progressive social justice movement, like a wolf in sheep's clothing, pastors, even Christians, they would be deceived and let him wreak havoc because they don't recognize what is happening. They're not being watchful. And a lot of Christians, they fall into this because they care more about their feelings than the word of God and what it says. People will say, you know, I know the Bible says it's wrong. I know that it's dangerous, but I don't know, Tiffany. I mean, just follow your heart, girl. You got to stand watch. God's word is a lamp that illuminates your path so that you can see what is in front of your face and watch for danger. So you got to be watchful. The next thing that passage talks about is how we need to stand firm in the faith. This communicates the idea of being steadfast like an unmovable object. We're facing today, think about just a cultural tidal wave coming our way. And this just wants to wash away biblical values. It hates the truth and it celebrates sin. And so your option today is to go with the flow or to stand firm in the faith. The cultural tidal wave today says that men are just pigs and Neanderthals, uh, that wherever men do lead, the culture screams about the oppressive patriarchy. The cultural tidal wave says that Christian values are outdated and bigoted. So if you're a man, it's easy to ask yourself, like, well, why should I even try? If I try to lead, the world calls me an oppressor. If I don't lead, my wife says I'm being passive. The world treats me like a degenerate boy, so maybe I should just go with the flow and be who they say I am. But, man, it doesn't matter 
how big that tidal wave gets, you can stand firm, knowing that the world's way is the wrong way. There's a story I heard a pastor tell, uh, and maybe you're familiar with this story from a history class, the story of the Alamo. The story of the Alamo was about how the Texans forced the Mexican troops out of Texas, and they left behind at a Spanish mission called the Alamo about 100 men uh, to defend and hold the line. In 1836, the advancing Mexican army came in the thousands upon thousands, and Colonel Travis, who was in charge of the Alamo, he sent out a letter to all the local militias, and he said, send help. Uh, he was able to get 90 more men, so he had less than 200 guys facing an army more than 10 times their size, knowing that reinforcements would not make it in time uh, and that they would likely not be able to hold back this invading army. And so Colonel Travis, what he did famously is, legend says he gathered the men and he took his sword out and he said, we won't be able to win this fight, men, but we'll give our lives and we'll hold this place as long as we can. Uh, we'll buy time for Sam Houston's army to get here and defeat this invading Mexican army. So here's what he did. He drew a line in the sand. That's where this phrase comes from. And he said, I now want every man who is determined to stay here and die with me to come across this line. And Texas lore says that all but one guy gladly stepped across this line. No joke, that one guy was actually French. What do you know? <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know this for sure, but rumor has it, he went on to found California. I don't know. I mean, maybe not. But it makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> the battle raged on for 36 hours and all 200 men were killed at the Alamo. But they did hold on long enough for Sam Houston, his army to form and come and defeat the enemy. And, and as men, you know, we love stories like this. That's why many movies have been made about this story. We love stories like the Spartans at Thermopylae, the 300 who held their ground against the invading Syrian army. We love the stories about the 101st at the Battle of the Bulge who held firm, they stood firm. And the idea is like, I'm not giving in. Like the idea is, you know, I'm gonna stand my ground. I'm drawing a line in the sand and I will not budge. I'm not gonna sit down. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to go with the flow. I'm going to stand firm. And with the cultural tidal wave of Satan's lies, you might consider at times just making a run for it, but we need you now more than ever to stand firm. Amen. Not in stubbornness, but in faith. Stand firm in the faith. Okay, so I want to talk about the faith. That's what allows you to stand firm. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul writes this. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel, the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which, look, you have taken your stand. See, I'm noticing that a lot of Christian men lack confidence and the internal strength to stand because they don't understand the faith. They don't understand the good news. So here's what I need for you guys to do is not just hear me preach it, but receive it. Like this talks about, receive it yourself. The gospel, I want to break it down into three aspects real quick, just so you can all understand it. Whatever campus you're at today, whatever venue you're sitting at, if you're online, you need to first understand that Jesus has justified you. 
We were legally guilty of sin in God's sight, and we deserve the punishment for that. And Jesus, who was innocent and had no guilt, he willingly took our punishment on himself and paid the price for our sins. Because Jesus paid your debt, that allowed God to forgive your sins. And so that means you no longer have the right to walk around feeling guilty over your past because your debt has already been paid. And what's better, the resurrection of Jesus proves that it worked. It says this in Romans 4. He was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification. So you won't stand firm if you're weighed down by your past, believing you're unworthy of God's love. So you were made worthy by the sacrifice of God's son. And the resurrection proves it's the certification that your debt has been paid, that you've been made clean in God's sight. You're justified. The next thing I want to hit on is that the gospel talks about how God has adopted you. He's adopted you as his own son. In Galatians 4, 5 through 7, it says that God sent his son to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as, what's that word? Say it louder like you're actually a son. (laughs) Sons, right? And because you are? God has sent the spirit of his into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a And if a then an heir through God. See, the Bible says you're a son, and women, you're a daughter. That word is inclusive of women as well. You're a daughter of God. So when you became a follower of Jesus, that didn't mean that you just became religious. It doesn't mean you just became a churchgoer but that you went from being a slave of sin to a son of God. So I know some of you had bad fathers. I had a pretty good one. And as good as he was to me, he doesn't hold a candle to God the Father. See, my dad, he gave me earthly life by giving his seed, and he lovingly fulfilled his legal obligation to raise me. Father God gave me eternal life by giving his son Jesus, who voluntarily took on responsibility for my sins so that he could save me. And what that means is that God doesn't just forgive you, he doesn't just accept you, but he adopted you as his own son. And as your father, here's what that means, he actually likes you. See, here's why I think this passage talks about sons specifically. Uh, Because I, I just think it's easier for daughters to accept the love of their father. Why is that? Why is it that God said sons? Is he a chauvinist trying to reinforce the patriarchy? No, I think he knew that men needed the specific reminder that they are sons. Sons have more of a tendency to seek approval through striving and doing and earning. That's why throughout history, listen, every major false religion was started by a man and it chases after works-based salvation. You've got to earn it. Christianity is the only religion where you're saved by grace and you receive salvation and acceptance and favor, not because of what you do, but because of who you are, a son. God says, I'm your father, and I accept you, and I love you, and I want you, and 
I actually like you. And you can't do anything to change that. And then the third thing you need to understand is this about the gospel, that God is sanctifying you. That means he set you apart and he made you holy. It's an instantaneous separation. It's progressive and it will one day be totally final. And maybe the problem is people will believe God forgave their past sins, but then they'll still feel like a failure because today you still make mistakes and sin. So you'll beat yourself up and you'll feel unworthy because you're not perfect. And that's something that we're all aware of. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. In Philippians 1.6, it says that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And in Hebrews 10.14, it says, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It's an ongoing process. You see that? So what that means is this, guys, stop beating yourself up for not being perfect. God does not expect you to be perfect. He's the one who started this process. He's the one who will carry it out to completion. And he's okay with that. All you have to do is cooperate with him and enjoy the journey as a son. God has made you clean, guilt-free. He's adopted you as a son and as a daughter, ladies, and he likes you. He's made you perfect in his sight, even though you still continue to progress. Once you understand and believe this, you can stand firm. You can lift your hands and worship your heavenly father. Men, you can lead your wife into the throne room of God in prayer and not feel so embarrassed and awkward about it because you know the faith. You understand the faith and you've received the faith. The third the next thing that the passage talks about in 1 Corinthians 16, 13 is the third thing is it says, be strong, be strong. Feminism attempts to make women strong by getting rid of men. And it says, we don't need men, we don't want men, we'd be better off without men, the, the future is female. Feminism is the direct result of bad men who treated women badly. But neo-feminism isn't the solution. Critical theory is the attempt to make those who feel weak strong by getting rid of the strong and tearing them down. So the world rightly recognizes that abusive men do exist, but it responds with the wrong solution. Critical theory says all men are oppressors, so all men should yield their power, become quiet, and submissive. So to your sons, they would say, well, it's okay to want to make something of yourself, but don't aim too high because, men, you've already had your day in the sun. Right? It's other people's turn. So, since the world can't get rid of men completely like they wish they could, they chose the next best thing, which is to make men weak. You see that with young boys today who go to schools that won't let them even play like boys. Nothing pretending to be violent, right? Nothing that's risky at all. No keeping score when you play sports. Everyone gets a trophy. See, what we're doing is we're socially neutering boys and castrating them at the soul level by teaching them to be afraid and run from danger and suppress their competitiveness. And we're teaching them that girls don't need your protection. The world is teaching boys that it's wrong to be strong. We get 
Today we see woke pastors, we see secular progressive social justice warriors who will even twist scripture to try to make this argument. So for example, in 2 Corinthians 12, it says, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Now, what, what that means is not that we should try to become weak. What that's talking about is that sometimes life, whether you like it or not, is going to bring you to your knees and make you weak. And it's encouragement that even in that moment, that's an opportunity for God to display his strength through you, right? Men, God does not want you to be weak. He wants you to become strong and then submit your strength to him. In Mark 12, verse 30, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. But you could also read it this way. Love the Lord your God with your strength. Love the Lord your God with your strength. Picture this. Uh, back in medieval times, you'd see a knight who would come and pledge himself, pledge fealty to a lord and say, you know, I pledge you my sword. I serve you, and I will fight for you only. Right? And a bold man does the same thing. He comes to God and says, I pledge you my life. My strength is yours. I serve you. I will fight for you only. Men, your family, your nation, your church, they need you to be a strong, dangerous man who will pledge his sword and strength to our king. See, weak Cowardly, soft men actually are the ones who tend to abuse the weak more. And that's what results in weak families, weak churches, weak nations, and oppression. We need men to be strong but gentle, dangerous but controlled, skilled but servant-hearted, and courageous but wise. It says in Proverbs 28.1, The wicked run away when no one is chasing them, but the godly are as bold as lions. And some people would say, Pastor Ryan, you're talking like toxic masculinity. No, this is biblical masculinity. And real masculinity is only toxic to the schemes of Satan. God commands men to be strong. In fact, it's actually hard to be a good man as a weak man. A good man protects the weak and he defends against evil. And today you'll hear feminists saying, you know, we don't need men to protect us. But the reality is God generally made men stronger than women so that they could use their strength to defend women and children. And that's not a put down to women and children. It's the honor of men to give their lives to defend those whom they love. Society needs good men to be stronger than bad men. See, bad men are the ones who hurt women and children. That's why we need men of God to be stronger than bad men. It's true, our bodies fail us as we age. Sometimes you become disabled, you can't help that, but you can still be strong in spirit. But men who are able-bodied, we need you to be physically fit and lift weights and learn how to shoot a gun and how to use your fist in self-defense. I know right now the California transplants are freaking out. 
Like, oh my God, the pastor just told me to get a gun. Right? I know, Californians, look where that got you. We didn't hear sermons like this back in California. I know a lot of you came to Arizona for exactly that reason. But Luke 22, look at this. Jesus says this, but now take your money and a traveler's bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Look at that. He wasn't talking about spiritual warfare. He was talking about actually, physically defending yourself. He was talking about an actual money bag and an actual traveling bag and a literal cloak and an actual sword. And he's saying it's okay to defend yourself. And for men today, it's good to defend yourself. It's good to defend your wives and your children. It's good to defend the weak from oppressors. That's a godly thing for a man to be strong and use his strength to defend those whom God loves and whom he loves. And then lastly, closing with this, it says in 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let all that you do be done in love. This is what's so cool today. We're talking about men being strong and godly and, and really warriors at heart, being bold. But in all things that we do, love should be the driving motivation, not pride, not greed, not selfishness, not jealousness, but love. So that means this, that as you live and as you work and as you fight, do it in love. Men, if you come home to your families just out of obligation, you won't be a very good husband or father. You need to come and love your families from a heart to serve that cherishes them and appreciates what God has done for you in love. If you're a business owner, build your business in love because you love your community and you want to provide a good service, because you love your family and you want to bless the next generation, because you love the church of Jesus Christ and you want to build his kingdom with the profits that you earn. Let it be love. If you go to war, don't do it just to destroy the enemy because you know evil is destructive and you want to love and protect the innocent. If you fight injustice, don't do it just because you hate people that are different than you, but because you love your fellow man. See, you can be strong and loving at the same time. You can be courageous and loving. You can be truthful and loving. You can be dangerous and loving. So men, today I pray that the Holy Spirit will show you in your heart, not as a put down, but to build you up. Is there any area in your life where maybe you have not been acting like a bold man. If God is highlighting that to you, it's because he does want to build you up into a bold man. He, and he will help you to become one. The world has told you that you shouldn't want to be one, but that's exactly what God wants to help you become. There's an old saying that says this, hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men and weak men create hard times. And you can kind of see that there's probably some truth to that. I think about how the previous generation went to war and created good times. And it's just a natural progression throughout history that good times tend to make people complacent and soft. And if I'm being honest, I think we're in a season where times are going to get harder. 
But if life brings you down to your knees, that's not necessarily a bad thing because on your knees, you can surrender your life to Jesus. And men, you need to understand this. Watch this. You'll never be able to stand up and act like a man until you bend your knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's true for every one of you, men, women, boy and girl. You've got to accept Jesus if you want to be bold and stand firm for what's right. It's not about making a point, right? It's about we know that God's word is true and we want to experience all the good things that he has for us. And he's promised that his way is the best way and that there's nothing better than his love. And so maybe you're here today uh, and you know I need to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I need to honor him and accept him as my king, and I need to stop trying to be in charge of my own life. Listen, man, if you've been trying to be in charge of your own life, it will never work out. It will never work right until you accept Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. It's not just that he wants to save you from hell, but he also wants to be the Lord of your life. That means he's your master, and we're his servants. And when you accept that and you fully embrace it, that's when you can actually start to stand firm as a man. So I'm going to ask everyone to bow your heads, close your eyes. And wherever you're at today, whatever location, if you're in the chapel, if you're online, and you say, man, today I need to surrender my life to Jesus Christ and accept him as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, you know you sinned. You know you need forgiveness. You know you need a Savior. You want eternal life. If that's you, then pray this prayer with me. And I believe if you mean it in your heart, then God will hear it. He'll receive you. He'll forgive you. He'll adopt you into his family as a son or a daughter. And you can have the gift of eternal life. So you don't have to fear death. You can be bold as you live for Jesus. Pray this prayer with me wherever you're at. Just pray and say, God, I need you. I know that I've sinned and I need forgiveness. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he came to be my Savior. Today, I also want to accept him as my King. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and I believe he rose again so that I could be victorious and justified. Help me, Lord, to follow you from this day forward. Lead me, and I thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.